So if we, if we give a title to this class, Parshat Mishpatim, we're going to say the secret of reincarnation and how Hashem repairs the failure of man's justice system. The rabbis write that the Zohar, the beginning of the Zohar of Parshat Mishpatim starts out with a story called the Sabah de Mishpatim, the grandfather of Mishpatim. And it goes through all of the secrets of reincarnation to give us an understanding. And basically the understanding is that reincarnation has two purposes, two ideas towards reincarnation. One is to rectify sin, and the other is to acquire a higher level of soul. And I'm going to explain all of it. The former types of souls are old souls, souls that have to fix something that they had done in a previous life, while the latter are newer souls that aren't here to fix, but in order to grow. We'll see as we go through. So, we discussed last week, and you could listen to the class, but just quickly, we said the Ari Kadosh explains that Yitro, the father-in-law of Moshe, was a Gilgul, was a reincarnation of Cain, and Moshe was the reincarnation of Hevel. And Yitro fulfills his mission in life by transforming himself from the master of idols, and he moves from the negative side to the positive side. When Yitro comes to Moshe, he says, Ani chotencha Yitro. I am your father-in-law, Yitro. Ani, Aleph, chotencha Chet, Yitro Yud, spells Achi. So the Ari says, he's really saying, I'm your brother, I am Cain, you're Hevel, and we're going to fix this. And they fix it. So, quick lesson in the Gemara, and we're going to go from the Gemara, to, to try to understand, even when you look at the Gemara, there's much more to the Gemara than you're seeing. And we were just talking about the Gemara because they had a, a siyum uh, a night before last and, uh, and they're going to start a new Gemara tonight with, with Rabbi Farhi. So if you want to send your husband, they have 19 guys signed up, they'll take a few more. So, no, right, we said last week that, that Moshe was reincarnated from Hevel, Hevel to Shet, who's the son of Adam, who's the son who replaces Hev, who's Hevel after he dies, Shet to Noach, Noach to Moshe. All those is one. So when little kids, when I, I remember when we started learning Gemara, we started learning Gemara in fourth grade. And we start learning Gemara with the Gemara called Baba Metziah. What's Baba Metziah? The second chapter of Baba Metziah. And it talks about property law. If someone lost his cow, if a cow fell into a ditch, if all the things like that. And I remember as a little kid, we all said, what do I care about learning about a cow who fell into a hole or someone lost his cow or someone borrowed his cow? And it, it deals mainly with, uh, with lost objects. And the, 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 the entire Baba Metziah, basically it's dealing for the most part with monetary laws. And these monetary laws are covered in a section of Shulchan Aruch that we call Choshen Mishpat. And they're basically the meat and potatoes of a Talmudic education. The tradition of beginning from a chapter dealing with property law. So why are you teaching four-year-old, you know, I mean, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-olds about property law? You would think that I'm going to start a kid learning and I'm going to teach him maybe about Shabbat or maybe about laws of blessings, or things that we would say are going to pertain to a, you know, a nine or a ten-year-old more than property law is going to begin, going to pertain. But by beginning, beginning with a chapter that is on the one hand applicable to our lives, but at the same time not part of a ritual aspect, we're sending a very important message to children and to ourselves that the Torah itself requires integration being part of the real world of commerce, of interaction. The holiness demanded of us cannot be achieved solely through ritual or conventional religiosity. You have to be part of the real world. That's why we learned that. I find it interesting that our rabbis teach us that the first question that a person is going to be asked when they get to heaven is not, did you follow Shabbat? Did you put on tefillin? Did you light your candles? Did you separate the challah? The Shulchan Aruch writes, every person has to be extremely careful not to take advantage of another person in business. It says it makes no difference whether you're the buyer, the seller. No one is allowed to take advantage of another party. 
that's based on the Torah, which tells us when you sell anything to your fellow or buy anything from another person's hand, do not cheat that person. The Gemara tells us that the first question that we're going to be asked when we get to heaven is, were you honest in business? Were you honest in dealing with your fellow person? So the main area where we learn about damages is in the other Baba. There's Baba Kama and Baba Metziah. And there's a question that the Gemara asks, Rabbi Huda asks something. And he says, a person who wants to be considered a Sadiq, what should he study? And he says he should study the matters of the tractate Nezikin. Nezikin is damages. He should study about damages to avoid causing damages to other. And that person is a considered a Sadiq. Rabbi says, no, you want to be a Sadiq, you should study Perkavot, ethics. You should learn to be an ethical person, a good person, and then you're a Sadiq. And some say that no, a person who wants to be a Sadiq, he should study the laws of Berachot. person should study Berachot because when we study Berachot, we really appreciate that God created the world and we realize that we have to be thankful and appreciative for everything we have. So we could understand studying Perkavot, ethics, makes a person a righteous person because you're... Or we could understand Berachot, studying the laws of blessings because that teaches a person to appreciate. But studying the laws of damages should make a person a Sadiq. Why would that be? And we begin the, 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 the Mishnah in Baba Kama and it tells us these are the four categories of damages. And it's important to hear, even though it's something so, because you're going to see what this really means. The category of ox, the category of a pit, the category of a maver, which is based on a tooth, and the category of fire. These, the second one, the first one is an ox, the second one is a pit. If you dig a hole and something falls into the pit, the third one is a tooth, the tooth of a, basically if your animal is uh, eating someone else's uh, garden or, or, or grass or field. And the fourth one is fire. The Netivot Shalom says, what are these four ways? These are the four ways that the Yetzer Hara approaches a person to damage the person and causes us to stumble. What are the four? Shor, which is ox. What is ox? How does that relate? An ox is considered haughty animal. Haughtiness, pride, ga'ava. That's the first way that a person falls. By being... Lack of humility? Lack of humility. Uh, It's all about me. You know who I am? It's all about me. So not being humble. Exactly. But but really not just not being humble, being haughty, going to the opposite extreme. We're not saying... Not being humble, come to the middle. We're saying, no, a person is haughty. It's, you know who I am. It's all about me. It's just me. A person's ego is up in the moon. That's ox. That's the first way that the Yetzir Hara comes to damage a person. It says the second way is bore. Bore is pit. What is a pit? Pit is a hole in the ground. This is the antithesis of, of, of shore. This is the opposite this is not haughtiness. This is someone who's in depression. This is someone who's, who's, who can't get out of depression. So one of the tricks of the Yetzir is to push a person into depression. If you look in the Sidur, when we pray the Amidah every morning, we say that Hashem should keep us away from Yagon the Anacha. Yagon is sadness and depression. When you look in the Sidur, many of the Sidurs, and you look on top of the word Yagon, you see... The name Samach Mem. That means the Satan. So who is the one who causes Yagon, depression? The Satan. Because when a person's depressed, they can't do anything. And Anacha, sadness, on top of that is the name Lamed Yud Lamed. Who's that? The wife of the Satan. So the Satan and his wife, the best tools that they have to cause us to fail in this world is to put us into depression. So we have to keep away first from shore, which is haughtiness. The next is bore, which is depression. Is that the same word used in Joseph's head in Moses' head? In um, Jonah, in terms of the well, because I know the Luna Guna talks about that that's depression. Is that the same words? I don't, I don't know if he uses Yagon there. No, but Yagon is, is, is Yagon Anacha, as we see in the Sidor, is, is, is sadness, depression. It's, it's, once a person has this self-pity 
and they slide into the pit of sadness, it leads to something that the Gemara calls Yeush. Yeush is when I give up. It's, it's, it's interesting that when it comes to the laws of a lost object, if I lose something and I have confidence that I'm going to find it, then I still own it. So if someone finds it, they have to return it. But if I have Yeush, if I have, I give up, then if someone finds it, it's not mine anymore because I've given up my ownership, even if it's just on a mental level. The third category is Maveh. Maveh is Shen. Shen is when the animal, like we say, you, you, you let your sheep out. And your sheep went to graze on someone else's land or they went through their flower bed. And the neighbor's wife is going to kill you because she's, you know, planted all these beautiful flowers and your sheep just ate all the flowers away. This is damage that comes through our mouth. Two ways. What we take in and what comes out. Obviously, Lashon what comes out. The fourth the fourth category of damage, thanks. The fourth category of damage is fire. And fire refers to lustful passions, also anger. So when the rabbis are saying that a person who learns nezikin becomes a righteous person, what are they really saying behind the words? It's that when a person is able to overcome these four types of behavior, haughtiness, sadness, uh, uh, damaging someone with their mouth and anger and fire and that, that person could be considered a sadiq. These represent the challenges of a person's life. So if a person wants to be pious, they have to fulfill the laws of Nizikin. says that it seems that trying to fulfill this should make me normal. It shouldn't make me pious. Every person should be able to control these aspects in their life. But what the rabbis are saying is that you have to uproot, you have to overcome if these are qualities within a person. It says that a person also has to know how to balance everything. On the one hand, you have pride. On the other hand, you have depression. You can't, you have to have them balanced. You have to have some level of self-respect, but you can't be so haughty to be on the other extreme. So we're not going to say that a person should be humble to the extreme. A person should be balanced because if I don't take a stand for myself, then everything's worthless. There's a balance in everything. A person has to balance their passions. They have to balance the one side always with the other. So if we go back to the, the beginning of the parasha, These are the laws which you should place in front of them. Unculus says, these are the laws that you have to place in front of the people in an orderly fashion. When you're giving someone a law, when someone, a rabbi is explaining a law, it's very hard for him to say, I told you to do it, do it. Yes, that's how we should be with our kids. I told you to do it, do it. But when it comes to us trying to understand laws, we have to understand what's behind the law. And if you could understand what's behind the law, you understand so much more than the law because the law is just the surface. You have to peel away the onion to try to understand what's below. But there's also a chok. Correct. But these are called, so we have other laws which are called chok, hukim, which are laws, so to say, that we don't understand. But even all the hukim, we understand. Even the Chukim, we say that the one that King Solomon didn't understand, which was the, which was the law of, uh, of the, uh, the red heifer, of the, of the Paraduma, the Arizal explains behind. So, but really, Rashi is saying that Hashem says to Moshe, I'm not telling you to teach a person a law two, three times until they could repeat it back to you. I'm telling you to place it in front of them like a set table where everything is ready to eat, where they understand everything, where it's clear in front of them. And that's where we get the word Shulchan Aruch. The code of Jewish law is called Shulchan Aruch, which it translates in English as set table. The Rambam says that it's appropriate for a person to explore the Mishpatim and comprehend them as thoroughly as possible based on his own abilities. He specifically employs the term laws, mishpatim, alluding to this verse. He says there's a very detailed system of laws which are intended to solve an existential problem, the problem of injustice. The Rambam goes on and says, 
These are cases of people who are forced to sell themselves into slavery. Some sell their daughters into bondage. Some kill others intentionally. Some kill accidentally. The law is not meant to prevent such things from happening, but rather to address them in a manner that will limit the degree of injustice inherent in them and prevent it from becoming overwhelming. So he says, thus, a slave is sold, but only for six years. And in the seventh year, he goes out with certain privileges. He says, the person who is guilty of homicide is punished. The individual who committed manslaughter accidentally is sent to Ir Miklat. He takes shelter. He says, although a murder victim can never be brought back to life, the law is aimed at creating a certain partial moral balance using the very same means by which the ordinance was violated, explains the Rambam. If chaos was created by means of violence, the law will also apply a measured degree of violence. A murder, a murderer is going to get executed. But a thief is going to be required to return what was taken or pay a fine. Says Rambam, the attempt is limited to the very nature to shape and discipline the chaos. He says it actually emphasizes the injustice that is inherent in man's daily reality. After all, it could be asked, why was that person murdered to begin with? How does an individual become so impoverished that he's enforced to sell himself into slavery? Why is someone killed accidentally? And he says, the law is not interested in the answer of these questions but instead attempts to supply those who suffer because of these questions with a solution that will enable them to continue with their lives. That's the upper level, the higher level of Mishpatim. Things happen. Once they happen, we have to deal with them. And Mishpatim, come tell us how to deal with them. The Zohar, though, comments on this week's Torah portion and it seeks to remove the veil from the range of metaphysical reason that lead to injustice. And it goes through. These are the Mishpatim. And then the Zohar writes. These are the arrangements of reincarnation. The laws of souls that are judged each and every one of them in according with their respective punishments. That's the Zohar Mishpatim this week. Dr. Yaakov Meir notes that injustice, which according to the Zohar, is inherent in the human world, is simply the expression of a cosmic order that God creates by means of reincarnation. If a certain individual sinned, he committed a sin, his soul is transmitted to another individual who's going to suffer in a manner that will cancel the sin from the first individual commit, that the first individual committed. <clears throat> from the standpoint of the victim, the injustice appears to have been committed against him for no reason whatsoever. However, if he understood the real reason the injustice was committed, he would understand that what is taking place is actually authentic justice. The system of Gilgulim, of reincarnation, serves as Hashem's court of justice. The Zohar's method for providing meaning to injustice is to describe it as a verdict that was passed for a crime that is concealed from our eyes. How do we understand this? There are many versions of stories. There's one story which Rav Dov Ber, the Magid of Mezerich, who was the student of the Baal Shem Tov, he tells. He says, he asked his rabbi, the Baal Shem Tov. <clears throat> he says, could you teach me the sod of reincarnation? Now remember, the, the mashal you're going to have is the simplest, simplest level, but it's a way for us to understand on a deeper level. The Baal Shem Tov takes him to his study and tells him to close his eyes. Suddenly, in a dreamlike vision, the Magid of Mezerich sees a handsome prince with his female friend come to a beautiful river at the border between two countries. And the only person who's anywhere within eyeshot is the border guard who's there. And the prince and, the, and, the, and his friend change their clothes. They get into their bathing suits. They go swimming in the river. They come out of the river, had a wonderful time. They go back and change, get back onto their horses, and they go back. But while the prince was changing back, he didn't realize, but his purse of coins fell and was there by the side of the tree. Later that day, 
a guy is coming on a horseback. Now imagine, the rabbi is seeing this, as, you know, he's imagining the story. Says the guy comes back on a horseback, and as he's riding by, he sees the border guard, he waves to him, he goes through, and he sees gold coin, a purse on the floor. He picks up the purse, he looks inside, he sees it's filled with gold coins, he sticks it in his pocket, doesn't say anything to the border guard, he doesn't even think the border guard noticed him there, and he rides away. The prince gets back to the palace and realizes, I lost my wallet, right? And now he thinks, where could it be? And he goes back to the tree where he was changing, figured maybe I dropped it. And then he says, it's not here. But who is the only person here? The border guard. So what does he do? He brings his guys are with him, his soldiers are with him, and he grabs the border guard and he tells him, confess. You're the only one here. Nobody comes through. You stole my wallet. You stole the money. You have the money. Give it up. The border guard says, I didn't take anything. And all of a sudden, the prince says, beat him. And they take a whip and they whip him 30 times. And the border guard saying, but I didn't do anything. And all of a sudden, the dream ends. And the rabbi says, look how unfair it is. The border guard didn't do anything. He gets beaten. The guy finds the money, takes it and goes. And the prince lost his money. So the rabbi says, you asked me to explain the sword of Gilgul? Close your eyes again. And he takes him back to another place. And he sees one angry man approach another guy. And he says, I made a loan to you of a huge amount of money. And you told me you were going to return the money in a certain time with this amount extra. You haven't returned anything to me. He says, I don't owe you any money. He says, that's ridiculous. You signed a contract. I have a paper that you signed that says you owe me money. I don't owe you money. Okay, I'm going to take you to court. He goes and takes him to court. Meanwhile, we see that this guy who owes the money goes to the judge and hands him a little purse of coins. Tells the judge, make sure that I don't owe him any money. The judge looks inside, sees the coins, says, no problem, all taken care of. The court case comes up. The plaintiff brings the signed document and he hands it to the judge and he says, look, he signed, he owes me the money. The guy who owed him the money says, that's not my signature, I didn't sign it. The judge says, did you have witnesses to the signature? I don't have witnesses. We know each other for a long time. That's his signature. He says, no, I accept his word. It's not his signature. He doesn't owe you any money. So he says to the rabbi, what do you think? He says, it's so unfair. The guy borrowed money, didn't get paid back the money, and the judge took a bribe. What's going on? So he says, let me show you what's really going on. He says that the person who, loaned, who borrowed the money is the prince who came back, and he had to pay the money back. The person who he borrowed the money from is the man who was riding his horse and he saw the money and he just picked it up because that was his money to start with. And the border guard was the judge who deserved to get beat for taking the bribe. It's a very simple, simplistic story. But it's a way for us to begin to understand what is the idea of Gilgul. The idea of Gilgul is we messed up and there has to be a way to fix it. And everything gets fixed. So I said, Hashem is capable of fixing things in, a, in an easier fashion. But we have to understand that this is a mashal. The Baal Shem Tov provides the secret to the Magid of Mezerich. He sends the Magid to see an incident of seemingly absolute injustice and reveals to him, hidden within this, is the idea of reincarnation. Reincarnation is able to take injustice and fix it. And that's one of the goals of reincarnation. What we need to remember is that the injustice originated in the human system of justice. Hashem basically tells us, you have a responsibility to set up courts. You have a responsibility to have justice in this world. Even the Goyim, it's one of the seven mitzvot of B'nai Noah, to have a justice system. It says, when we don't do what we're supposed to do, when we don't mete out justice in a proper fashion, 
then what happens? Then Hashem has to step in and He has to fix it for us. What's amazing is that when we go to a deeper level, Parshat Mishpatim depicts not the manner in which man corrects the natural injustices in the human world. He says, but it depicts the way which God corrects the injustices that man creates through unsuccessful attempts to correct, to correct reality. The sword of Mishpatim is that it provides man with laws so that he can use them to manage the justice system. That's why this whole parasha is. That's why we learn the laws of justice, because we have to do the right thing. But when man fails, what happens? He returns that privilege to God. So sometimes when we see something happening and we don't understand it, it's God fixing something that we messed up. Mm -hmm. Hashem provides man with laws so that he could use them to manage the justice system. Man's failure means that God has to take over. He has to intervene. To go a little deeper. The six years we say about that's the beginning of the parasha if you look at it. You buy a Hebrew servant. He works six years. What do you mean six years? Why six years? What does six years have to do with the man in the moon? So the Zohar tells us that the six years refer to the six, the Zerampin, the six sefirot that we are governed by. We'll go into it says, but if the soul is from the side of the Shekhinah, which is Machut, the lower level, then it's Yeseh Lechovshi Chinam. He goes out free. So what does this mean? A Sadiq that earned a soul from Machut of Atzilut, this is a, he says, like the aspect of Shabbat, has no, no work and no slavery. But just to explain, because it's a little heavy, but I want to go into a simpler. Parshat Mishpatim gives us the secrets of Gilgul and the ability to have the power to go through our Gilgulim. This is very important. It's giving us knowledge so that we can go through our own Gilgulim and be able to fix things. The Arizal says that if a person did not follow his tikkun, his corrections, it's, a, it's as if he didn't live his life. We mentioned last week that if someone wants to know what is my tikkun, the rabbi would always say it's the thing that's most difficult for us to overcome. The quality that we find most difficult to overcome, that's our tikkun. But what are those qualities? Writing on Sha'ar HaGigulim, Rabbi Pinchas Winston, who has a beautiful translation of, of Sha'ar HaGigulim, says that when a person is born, his nefesh, the lowest level of soul, enters him. If he does what he's supposed to do as a child, till he gets to 13, at 13 he has the ability to accept the second level, which is called Ruach. And then if he does from 13 till 20, and does what he's supposed to do. At 20, he graduates and he gets the level called Neshama. He says, this is talking about an ideal situation when a person corrects all three in a single lifetime. Such a person would never have to come back again, at least not for himself. But people come back to help other people. And it's important that we understand that also. However, if a person doesn't completely rectify his Ruach, his lowest, his middle level, then the neshama is not going to come, back, come to him and he's only left with nefesh and ruach. So he has to come back to fix the higher level of his soul. So every person has to try to rectify each level of their soul. And sometimes you could rectify one level in one lifetime, one level in another lifetime, one level in a third lifetime. So each, each level has to be when you graduate from one level to another. So for example, if a person fix their nefesh, and then they passed away. Then they stay with their nefesh, and they only have to work on the next level, which is the ruach. If they fix the ruach, then they have to, and it may take one or two or three lifetimes to fix the ruach, then they can come back and fix the higher level of neshama. So you, you, you're going to see now. The Zohar, Rav Shimon Bar Yochai says, Ele HaMishpatim, we said, Unkulu says the laws that are placed in front of you. Rashi says it's like setting a table in front of a person. So in the past we asked why we call it a Shulchan Aruch. Why is it called a set table that a person should sit in front of them? If we're going to say 
that Moshe is responsible to teach the reasons of the halachot, then it should be the taste of the halachot. Why a set table? What's so important about a set table? So the Gemara in Berachot says, while the Ben HaMikdash stood, the Mizbeach, the altar, provided B'nai Israel with kapara, with atonement. Now that we don't have a, a, a Mizbeach, what brings a person atonement in this world? Their table. It's curious that our blessed sages describe the act of service and eating as Shulchano Shel Adam, a person's table upon, upon which food is placed. Rab Chaim Vital writes in Sha'ar HaKavanot, in the name of his teacher, Rabbeinu Ari, he says, I saw that my teacher, the Ari, was very careful always to eat on a table with four legs resembling the Shulchan in the Bet HaMikdash. Four legs. To understand, Rav Chaim Vital in Sharei Kiddush, he writes in the name of Arizal. We know that Hashem made man out of the four basic elements. Fire, wind, water, and earth. And those elements are going to relate to the, the four types of damages and the four ways that we fix our soul. Each of these four elements corresponds to one of the letters of Shem Havaya, the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He, relates to each of the elements. Had man not sinned with the Etz Hadat, his body and his soul would have existed in perfect harmony with regards to the elements. He would have lived forever. When man sins, what happens? The four elements are infused with a mixture of good and evil. Consequently, man has to pass away to separate the elements one from another. He says that when we started on the four types of damages, we go and explain that all of human attributes stem from the four basic elements. The negative attributes stem from the evil portion contained in the four elements, while the positive emanate from the good in them. He describes this as follows. It follows, therefore, that all of the negative attributes can be divided into four categories. For example, we started with with shore, haughtiness or anger, and they stem from ish, fire. He says, idle speech stems from the negative aspect of ruach, wind, my speech is air. Earthly cravings, desire, come out from the aspect of mayim, it just pours. He says, the negative aspect of afar gives rise to all forms of sadness, resulting in one's laziness and indifference toward Torah observance and mitzvot. He says, but the opposite is also true. The good, positive attributes originate from the good aspect of the same elements. Humility comes from fire because we correct the tendency towards haughtiness. We come to a balance. Being silent and mute, except when occupied with Torah, mitzvot, and doing what we have to do, comes from wind, which relates to speech. Self-control in physical delights and excesses corrects the negative aspect of mayim, water. And finally, being happy and content with the world Hashem gave us, appreciating everything that we have. This is the correction and the tikkun for the aspect of earth, which is, which is sadness. This includes motivating oneself to serve Hashem with joy and eagerness. So we could begin to appreciate the explanation of the Tikkunei Zohar regarding sacrifices. He says, what's the purpose of bringing a korban in the Ben HaMikdash? That we say, without it, we have the table. He says, when we bring the korban, we have all four elements. The korban is brought on a Mizbeach. The Mizbeach has on it fire. What's the Ruach? When a person puts his hand onto the animal and admits or makes the statement the ruach is fixed. What's the mayim? Every sacrifice had to have salt. Salt came from the salt water. That's the water. Also, we have on Sukkot, the pouring of the water on the altar. And where's the earth? We saw last week that the, that the mizbeach can only be made out of earth. So when we bring a sacrifice, we're in essence trying to correct within us 
all four of the of our our uh, you know way of being that relates to these four things goes further that a person has to bring a korban and hold the korban for at least four days before they bring the korban. Why four days? So that a person has each day to contemplate on his esh, on his ruach, on his mayim, and on his afar. On his fire, on his water, all of the different things that a person has to think about himself. So it appears we could reinforce this concept by suggesting how, how a korban can rectify the four elements. And we said the, the element of esh as the fire is consuming it. The element of ruach is when we make that speech. The element of mayim is the salt. And the element of earth is, the, is like we said, the, the, the mizbeach itself. Imagine on each of the four days that you're holding that sacrifice before you're thinking about, I'm bringing a sacrifice. And the reason I'm bringing a sacrifice is to make a correction in all of these four elements within myself. And again, all of these four elements relate to this whole idea of nezikin. We have, we have shore, the ox, the haughtiness, boar, the depression. We have uh, the tooth, which is indulgence. And we have finally fire, which relates to the anger. So we have a better understanding of why the korban was offered. This helps to understand why Hashem told Moshe not only to teach us the halachot, but to understand it like a shulchan aruch. He says that nevertheless we learn that the purpose of the mitzvot is to rectify and sanctify what? The four basic elements which compromise a human being, esh, ruach, mayim, and afar. So it's important that a person examine the underlying reasons of the mitzvot. So he's going to recognize which elements he has to fix or she has to fix within themselves. Even though all the laws of the Torah are decrees, we still have to explore why and how they relate to us to correct some midah within us. According to the Ramban, Nachmanides, the purpose of the mitzvot is to refine a person's negative attributes. He writes, the purpose of mitzvot is not for Hashem's benefit, but rather for man's benefit to protect him from harm or improper beliefs or negative attributes. According to that, we learn that the purpose of the mitzvot is to refine the four basic elements in man's makeup. Let's go back to the Zohar. Rav Shuman Bayuchai writes, you place it in front of them like a set table, quoting Unkulus. These are the laws which you should order before them, which means these are the orders of reincarnation, the laws of the souls that each one is judged to receive and to be punished through. Rav Pinchas Friedman quotes Sefer B'nai Sachar. He says, it's well known from the Zohar Kadosh and the Kabbalistic literature that Hashem sends the sinner down to earth several times in various reincarnations. The purpose of these reincarnations is to correct the harm and defects one has caused. So the question has to be, and this is such an amazing question and amazing answer. What's the point of sending man down again as a reincarnation? It's just as likely that not only is he going to fail to correct the previous damage, he's going to mess up and add sins to what he did before. In that case, it's better not to come back. Says that. And, and how do you understand it? And this is how he explains it. This is unbelievable. Because it shows you the kindness in Hashem in reincarnation. What is it? A person who's born with the attribute of haughtiness will likely pursue honor and respect and be jealous of anyone that is greater and more important than him. A person born with the trait of stinginess is going to refrain from acts of tzedakah and kindness. Everyone's sins are the bad midot that are inherent in us within from our birth. That's what we have to fix, right? The Bnei Sachar says something unbelievable. He says, what happens if we fail in the first time we're here? He says, Hashem sends us back with the opposite midah of what we had in the previous lifetime. If we failed in A, he doesn't test us in A again. Why is he going to test us in A again? He's going to test us in Z. Because that's the opposite. And that one we should be able to pass. He says, if a person previously possessed the trait 
of miserliness, of stinginess, he's going to reincarnate into a body possessing the trait of being a spendthrift. Or if that person possessed the trait of haughtiness and arrogance, he's going to reincarnate into a body that is naturally humble and modest. So the test is going to be the complete opposite to give you a big curb. says, consequently, the person is more likely to improve his lot by means of reincarnation than to cause further damage. Tikkune Zohar. Hashem subjects the soul of the sinner to three incarnations and no more. If he fails to accomplish the necessary tikkun for his flaws in these three attempts, it's over. The tikkun is basically three strikes you're out, but it's more than three strikes. It's four strikes you're out. Either, either the person goes to Gehinam to try to fix, or the person, his soul gets absorbed into whatever. We always noted that after your first at bat, then it's three strikes. So in essence, you're getting four. You get one time and then three additional strikes or four downs if we're going to the Super Bowl coming up. But what do we learn? If we include man's initial appearance, then he has the initial appearance and three more. Why four altogether? Because why four? Because a person comes and messes up with relation to the fire. Then he's tested in the opposite. If he, and then he's tested with the board. And then if he fails up, he comes back as another. The op, and then he comes back again. So Hashem is giving you a chance. Just fix one. Out one out of the four. So he says, suppose that during a man's first existence on earth, the element of ash prevailed. And he had the bad midot that come from ash, that fire. Such as arrogance, anger, overly strict. Hashem's going to reincarnate him into a body where the element of mayim, and Mayim is the opposite of Ash. Water is the opposite of fire. So he's no longer inclined towards the bad midot stemming from Ash. Thus, he's likely to correct the defect and the damage from his previous existence. If he fixes it, all good. He moves on. Moves on maybe to the next level. Maybe that's the level of Nefesh, and then he's going to the level of Ruach, and then level of Neshama, and the tests keep going. He says, but he goes up to Gan Eden. But if he fails during the first reincarnation and then he fails during the second, then Hashem's going to say, I'm not going to test him again in Ish, and I'm not going to test him again in Mayim. I'm going to test him in Ruach. And then Ruach comes and then he has a chance to overcome the Ruach. And if that doesn't work, he says, okay, then I'm going to send again and he comes to be tested with Afar. So each time Hashem is giving a person to come back and be tested and in order to be able to correct it. So Rashbi, Rav Shimon Bar Yochai is basically saying that the purpose of teaching B'nai Israel the underlying reasons of the mitzvot is to see which mitzvot we have to connect to to fix that which we have to fix that we see within our own lives is our reason for being here. We know what's the most difficult thing for us to overcome. And then we have to see the mitzvot that are going to help us to overcome that point, this knowledge of the understanding the mitzvot is so helpful in helping a person to fix their three reincarnations. Just to, to, to close, I just mentioned this. So I mentioned last week. Rav Chaim Vital writes, because we're all women here, except me. Rav Chaim Vital writes in Sha'ar HaGilgulim that the reality of Gilgulim applies to men more commonly than to women. Why? Women will, however, return in Gilgulim if they did not complete the mitzvot that they were obligated to do in order to connect to their other soul. We have to realize something. When Hashem created us, creates us as a single soul. The soul is separated into the male half and the female half. It says, sometimes a woman, says in the, in the Zohar, sometimes a woman, no, sorry, says in Shara Gilgulim, sometimes a woman will reincarnate for the sake of her husband, who must reincarnate, as mentioned in Sabah of Mishpatim on the verse, if he was married, then his wife will go out with him. Meaning that, by the rule, women do not reincarnate for the sake of individual reincarnation. They do, however, reincarnate to help the soul of their mate with his incarnation. To put it bluntly, most, not all, 
Most female souls do not need to be here on earth for their own sakes. They come to help out their men folk. So the guys have to pay attention. <laughs> now, what happens also? Well, we have five more minutes of the time. What happens also if a person messes up? The problem is if a person messes up, they can come back in a reincarnation, not as a person. They can come back in the other forms of existence, which are domem, which is rock, which is vegetation, and which is animal. You know that many people have a custom, they eat fish on Shabbat. And they say the person who eats dag on Yom Dag will be zocher to eat dag in the century, in the period of dag. What does that mean? Dag is dalit gimel, four and three is seven. So the person who eats fish, dag, on Yom Dag, on the seventh day, Shabbat, will merit to eat dag, means the fish of the Leviathan, in the seventh millennia, which is the time of the Mashiach. Why? says that many times a person will come back in a gulgul as a fish. In order for that person to lift themselves, you eat that fish. If you eat that fish and make a beracha on that fish in the proper way, then you've released that soul back to a higher level. It's a secret that sometimes people reincarnate in, in a rock, and the rock goes into the earth, and the earth grows into the plant, and the sheep eats the plant, and you take the sheep and bring it as a sacrifice, that's going to lift up that person from those levels. The scary thing is that when it comes to, you know, my, my rabbi used to say when he was in Morocco, they used to tell them because in Morocco the dogs were in the street. They were like the most horrible creatures. And he said, you're going to come back as a dog. He says he came to America. He was 21 years old. He went to the butcher to pick something up, but it was a Tuesday. And he sees one of the wealthy men from Shul. He's online and he's asking the butcher, do you have my special corned beef? Da, da, da. And the butcher says, yeah. And the rabbi says to him, you're buying already for Shabbat? He goes, no, the corned beef is for Fifi. Fifi's the dog. <laughs> he says, he says in, in America, it's good to come back as a Gilgul as a dog. <laughs> the, scary thing, the scary thing is, though, that the rabbis tell us that when a person comes back as a Gilgul in a domem, in a, in a plant or in an animal, they know who they are. When we come back as a Gilgul as a person, we don't know. We just have to know what we have to try to fix is what, what's inside our nature. But when a person, chas v'shalom, comes back, and they tell a story about a certain rabbi. He went to visit a wealthy man. And he saw that this wealthy man had a horse. And this horse was unbelievable. He was working. This was greatest horse. And he tells the, the, the wealthy man, he goes, can I ask you for a gift? He says, Rabbi, anything you want, you could have. He says, you know what I want? This horse. He says, Rabbi, this is my best horse that I have in all of my stables. Take any other horse, not this horse. This horse does the work of 10 horses. The rabbi says, really? He goes, anything else you want, Rabbi? He goes, in business, do you loan people money? He goes, yeah, Rabbi, I loan people money. He goes, do you have a ledger with the debts? He goes, yeah, could you show me the ledger? Yeah, Rabbi, here, come sit. Here's the ledger. He goes through, he goes, tell me about this one. Rabbi, you don't want to know about that one. Why? He says, this one... I loaned him a lot of money. I went to him to pay me back. He never paid me back. And then one day, he died. He goes, can you sell me this debt? He goes, Rabbi, it's worthless. He goes, so sell it to me. He says, I'll give you one ruble. You told me it's worthless. He goes, Rabbi, you could have it for free. He goes, no, no, I insist. Will you take one ruble for the debt? He says, okay, Rabbi, whatever you want. Give me the ruble. I took the ruble. The debt is yours, Rabbi. You have to collect the nickel. The rabbi says, it's mine. He goes, give me the page. He gives him the page. The rabbi says, I hereby nullify this debt. And he tears up the paper. All of a sudden, the servant of the wealthy man runs in. He tells him, the horse just died. The man turns to the rabbi and goes, Rabbi, because I didn't give you the horse. You put a whammy on my horse and the horse died? Why would you do that to me? And the rabbi says to him, when I came, I saw that the horse was a gilgul of a person. And I saw the person was trying so hard to pay you back what he owed you. And who was the person? He was the person who owed you this money. When I took the debt and I tore the debt, he finished his Gilgul in this world. He was able to go on. This whole idea of Gilgulim is a very, very difficult subject. But the idea that, that we have it in Parshat Mishpatim is to tell us that Hashem is in charge of the world. 
And Hashem is making sure that there's always justice. When we don't carry out justice ourselves, Hashem says, you're leaving it to me. I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. And when Hashem is doing the Gilgulim for us, He's doing it in such a way that not to bring, it's not a retest where we're tested in the same thing that we're going to fail again. He's testing us in the opposite in order to give us the best chance to pass. Mm -hmm. And then if we don't pass, he's giving us a test again. And then he's giving us a test again. And that's at each of the levels in order for us to pass. Everything is a chesed for us in this world. We don't understand the world. And sometimes we look at the world and we see injustice. But the problem is when we see the world in injustice, we're only seeing the painting from inside the painting. We can't really see the whole story. We say when one of the great rabbis was, was being tortured and the angels came to Hashem and said, this is the Torah, this is the reward. Hashem said, if you complain to me again, I'm going to take the world back to Tohu Vabohu. When Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Hashem and he says, Hashem, why do bad things happen to good people? Hashem says, you can't see my face. You can only see my back. What are the two stories? Hashem is saying, you want to understand history? I'll take you back to the beginning before everything and you could see. You want to understand history? Wait till the end, and then you'll understand. We're in the middle of the story. We think we see injustice, just like the story with the Baal Shem Tov. Why is the guy, why is, is this happening to this guy, this happening to this guy, this happening to this guy? So the Baal Shem Tov in a vision gives him a little peek at what's really behind the scenes. Again, like I say, it's a simple story. But much more we have to realize that our stories of our lives are not so simple. Mm-hmm. Where many lives... We're here, we've done many things, and Hashem is helping us along the path because all Hashem wants from us is good. He doesn't need anything from us. He just wants to give us and give us and give us. But we want to earn the giving. We want to earn what Hashem gives us. And therefore, Hashem is giving us a chance to earn it and making it as easy as possible for all of us. We're in the end of days. There's no question. We got the last, we have the last souls. How do we know in the end of days? We see already the miracles. The miracles. If, if you were a Jew in 1942 and someone told you there's going to be a state of Israel in six years, you would have told him he's a lunatic. In the middle of miracles, in the middle of end of days, there's no question. We have Eretz Yisrael. We have Yerushalayim. We just have to go step by step to get to the, the, the final steps. But those final steps, it's not us saying, bring the Mashiach. Hashem is saying, okay guys, you're the last souls. You were here already. All of us, I believe. All of us, I believe, were here in the flood. All of us, I believe, were here in the Tower of Babel. All of us were residents of Sodom that didn't help people. And all of us were in Egypt, and all of us left Egypt. And Hashem brought us back one more time to fix everything. That's this generation. This is it, baby. God willing, this is it. As long as we do what we have to do. Huh? How many, how many years? No, we say that, that we were in 5784, maybe. We say that everything should finish by 6,000. And maybe Shabbat starts early. Since Shabbat starts early, everything should be early. Thank you, everybody.